As I mentioned earlier, we are beginning a new series, and we're going to be uh, talking about various miracles that have happened in the scriptures. And the title of the series is Miracles, God's Power to Change Your Life. God is a God of miracles. Our God is a God of miracles. He isn't asleep. He isn't passive. He is active. He does things in this world. He does things in our lives. And so we want to grab a hold of those things. But we need to know the types of things that God does. We need to understand through example what God does. And we've got many, 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 many examples in the scriptures of the miracles that God will do. Now, I've seen miracles. Have you? I tell you this, there are different theologies out there, but once you've seen the hand of God, the theology can no longer pull you away from believing that those things don't happen anymore because you've already seen it. And so, there you go. And I've seen the hand of God, I've seen the power of God, I've experienced miraculous healing for myself, I've watched it happen for people I've prayed for, I've been, oh man, God just does great things. And so we want to see the scriptural examples of the power of God so that we can believe God to intervene in our lives and in the lives of those that we love and that we know and that we're praying for. And so let's pray and we'll get into part one of miracles this evening. So Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this evening. I thank you, Lord, for the time we have right now. Father, help us to see what you've got for us. Help us to see through your word, your power. Lord, each one of us is dealing with different things. We're fighting different battles. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit, you would touch each one of us tonight with what we need to draw closer to you and to take a step forward in serving you better. So, Lord, bless our time tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Part one of miracles, God's power to change your life, is talking about being born again, receiving new life. There are times where God will intervene in a person's life to change the course of their future. They're going a particular direction, and God says, no, now go this way. I have personally experienced that. I'm sure there are many people in this room that have personally experienced that to one degree or another where God stops you when you're going a certain direction and changes your path, intervenes in your life and puts you on a different path. And we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul, who was a zealot named Saul. He was named after the first king of Israel. And he was a very, very aggressive young man. And he grew up in church, and he decided he was going to be a champion of the faith. And so he became a Pharisee, and he was very aggressively following God to the best of his knowledge. But he was mistaken in some of his assumptions. One of his assumptions was that Jesus was a quack and that the followers of Jesus were completely wrong and that Christianity needed to be wiped out. He thought he was serving God. 
and he was trying to wipe out Christianity. There's a miss. That's a mistake. So we're going to look at an experience that Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, had in Acts chapter 9. We'll work through it. We'll look at what God did and we'll apply pieces of this to our world and to our lives. So let's take a peek here. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Verse 1 is an amazing verse. Now, understand this was written by a friend of Paul. Luke wrote Acts, and he was a friend of Paul. And this is what he wrote about him before he got saved. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So, is this a friendly person? Saul is breathing out murderous threats. You go into the Greek, it's threats and murders. A lot of translations have it threats and murders. He's breathing out threats and murders. This is strong. Paul describes himself as a violent man. We'll read that shortly. He's on a path. And his path is He's breathing out threats and murders against the believers in Christ. And he's trying to wipe them out. He's trying to eradicate what he thinks is heresy. And so it describes this process. He went on, uh, I'm sorry, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, back in Bible times, Christianity was called the way. It wasn't called Christianity. And so uh, you'd see this in the scriptures. It's talking about the way. And it means the way of Christ following Jesus, which now we call Christianity. So if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going to Damascus. He's got letters from the high priest and he's going to capture Christians and bring them to trial. That's his plan. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So God is intervening in this man's life. There's going to be a miracle. And the miracle is taking someone who was following darkness and fighting against God and turn that person to follow Jesus. Let's let's see this. Verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. So Saul is on his way to persecute the believers in Jesus. Jesus shows up, a blinding light flashes on Saul. He's brought to his knees And Jesus speaks to him. Now, this is an amazing thing. And this probably took about 10 or 15 seconds. This miracle. Where the blinding light hit. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm I'm Jesus. And it continues, verse 6. Now get up. And go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. 
Is that what you would, even though, Saul, you're persecuting me, understand I love you. Understand that my heart is breaking for you. No, this is what it is. Get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And then it's over. That's the miracle. Get up. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Just wait. Okay. So, I wonder how Saul took this. What was his experience? Let's read verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So, was he having a positive experience with God? No, this was a traumatic experience with God. He was persecuting the believers. He was aggressively fighting against Jesus. Jesus stopped him in his tracks, dropped him to his knees, blinded him so that he's now helpless. He needs to be led by the hand into the city. And he's so frightened and taken aback, he doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. He's just sitting there praying blind. Wouldn't that have an impact on you if something like that happened? Now, if you've heard my story, I have a, it, it's, I, I have a little bit of this story. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, I was a, an unbeliever. I was, uh, you know, basically an atheist. I thought of myself as an agnostic, but then after I became a Christian, I realized there was no room for God in my thinking, so that's not agnosticism, but atheism. And when I was a freshman in college, one of the things that me and my friends would do for fun would be to uh, shake the faith of believers. Because it was easy to do. You just ask them simple questions like, well, where is God? And they give you something they learned in Sunday school, which is easy to then destroy. And then they would be like, oh, bah, bah. and it was entertaining. I feel bad about that now. You know, I mean, seriously, uh, it was something I had to deal with in my heart over time because like that's not OK. And then the next summer after my freshman year in college. I asked God if he was real. Some people have done that. A guy gave me a Bible. He gave me, uh, you know, told me to start reading in Matthew. I figured, well, if God is real, it'd be good information to have. I don't really care what's true. I just want to know what is true. And so uh, I got to Matthew 7, 7. uh, Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. This is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. I thought, well, that's pretty straightforward. So as I was driving, it was about midnight uh, in 1988, dropped my girlfriend off at her house and I'm after work and I'm driving back to where I was staying and I thought, well, I'm just going to pray and find out what the deal is because if I seek and don't find, I know it's baloney. If I seek and do find, then I know what's going on, so I might as well find out. So I prayed 
a little prayer. Uh, Lord, a guy, this is my prayer. First time I ever prayed in my life, 19 years old. Lord, there's this guy, he gave me a book. He says it's your book, and in it it says, Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened, and I'm knocking. Of course, I had my eyes open because I was driving. And uh, it's midnight, starry night. As I was driving, I saw two hands up in the sky appear like this, folded hands, and they opened up like that, and then disappeared. And I knew it was a vision from God. I didn't think other people would be able to see it. And uh, it, it, was, it was a scary thing to me. It wasn't something I told people about. Uh, it caused a negative response in my personal life because I was on a particular road. I knew where I was going and why. And then everything I was living for was now meaningless. And I had to reorient myself, try to understand the things of God. I mean, I didn't know anything. I hadn't read this story in Acts chapter 9. I tell you, when I got to Acts chapter 9, found out about Paul's road to Damascus experience, I thought, well, God must do this all the time. You know, it's, look, he did it to this guy. So I know that God, to this day, will reach in to a person's life and intervene to take them from one path and put them on another. And this is what happened to Saul. And he talks about his experience in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Paul talks about this experience on the road to Damascus when he's writing to Timothy. And he says this, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Can blasphemers and persecutors and violent men be shown mercy? Absolutely. He gives a reason here. He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Are ignorance and unbelief reasons for God's mercy? They are here in this verse. I was shown mercy because of ignorance and unbelief. So isn't that good news for the ignorant, unbelieving masses? That is a catalyst for the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Should we as believers be judgmental towards the ignorant unbelievers? No, we should share God's heart and have mercy as well. Let's keep reading Paul's account. It says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So when Paul stops what he's saying and says, now be sure to pay attention to this because this is important. We should be sure to pay attention to this because it's important. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So Paul is saying, if blaspheming, persecuting, violent men who are trying to destroy the church can receive the mercy of God, then all of us can receive the mercy of God. Said, I was shown mercy as an example to the rest of the world that you're not too far gone. 
Maybe you've slipped into foolish sin. Well, that's not trying to destroy Christianity. It's just foolishness. Maybe you are trying to destroy the faith. Well, guess what? So was Paul, and he was shown mercy. Hallelujah for the example of the mercy of God in Paul. He cherished this moment, even though it was a traumatic, traumatic experience. Now, Saul's going to need some help. Remember, he's blind. (laughs) He's been not eating or drinking for three days. He's obviously in a crisis moment in his life. And so this miracle continues in the days to come. It's not a one-shot deal. It's a series of things. And phase two of this miracle uh, happens. Let's get to that. Acts chapter 9, picking it up in the next verse. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. If the Lord calls to you in a vision and says your name, the proper response is, yes, Lord. All right. Verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So this gives us information on what he was doing for those three days while he wasn't eating or drinking and he couldn't see. He was spending time with God. He was repenting. He was grieving in his heart that he was opposing God when he thought he was serving God. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God's, Ananias must have been a good guy. Because God says to Paul, I'm going to send a guy named Ananias to you. He's going to heal you. You'll be able to see. And then God says to Ananias, Hey, Ananias, I've got a plan for you. (laughs) He told Paul first. And then went to Ananias. Ananias is a yes, Lord kind of guy. He's a yes, Lord kind of guy. A faithful servant of God. God told Paul first. Now, even a yes, Lord kind of guy can need clarification. (laughs) Can need, like, help me with this. I don't understand. So let's go to verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. So he starts to argue with the vision from God. You want me to do what? This is a bad guy. I don't think I should go there. He's dangerous. Verse 14, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So he's saying, I know the story. He's a bad person. If I go there and say, hey, I'm with Jesus. I want to pray with you. He says, I'll probably end up in Jerusalem in jail. I don't want to go to jail in Jerusalem. They don't like people like me. So he's arguing with the vision from God. Have you ever argued with God? I think this is why God speaks in the still, small voice. Because we have the courage to argue with the still, small voice. But if we had, you know, 50-foot angels come and knock us over, we'd be much less likely to argue with them. But the still, small voice we argue with. 
And here Ananias is arguing with the vision. He's saying this is a bad guy. Next verse. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. The argument is over. There is no longer any debate. It's like dealing with your four-year-old. You know, like, we're not going to have a discussion. Here's what you need to do. You know, go. So God says to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Again, that's not very friendly. But is that how it turned out? That this man, who was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, would be shaken to the core of who he was so he would see who God truly is and he would be motivated to walk into any storm, into any fight, to defend the name of Jesus. He was willing to go anywhere. He repeatedly had to be pulled away from places where he would be killed because he was so eager to defend the name of Jesus. Let's read little farther. Verse 17. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. This verse right here. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. This is a very different attitude than this guy has been given Uh, He's going to take me to prison. He's a bad guy. He comes up to him and he calls him brother. Ananias had phase two of the miracle, the vision. But that vision changed Ananias' heart towards Saul. And I tell you, that is a big thing. Because you can change on the inside and other people don't see it. And other people don't respond to it. And other people don't believe it. It took a vision from God for a mighty man of God, a very faithful man of God, to be willing to go pray for this guy. But he knew God must have done something here. And this now is no longer a persecutor and a blasphemer and a violent man. This is now a brother. So he goes up to him and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he says, your your eyes are going to be restored and your heart is going to be restored. You're going to be able to see and you're going to be able to see. Verse 18. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. He gets healed. Scales fall, something like scales fall off of his eyes. This was a blinding light that he saw. And whatever this, I don't know exactly the details. This is the information I've got. Something like scales fell off of his eyes. And he's like, is there any water around here? Because it's time for me to go down and come back up. And so 
he was baptized. There was no waiting around. Verse 19. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So Saul gets baptized and then he's brought into that group. He spends several days with the disciples in Damascus. The people who would have rejected him, ran from him, been afraid of him, known he was the enemy. He spends several days with them. They call him brother. They baptize him. And he becomes one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the followers of Christ. Now when your path is changed, Sometimes there are people that you used to know that don't like you anymore. You may have experienced that if you're someone who has had a dramatic conversion experience and you have left one life and gone to walk with Christ and you knew your old life was incompatible with serving God. So Paul, Saul as he's called at this point, changes dramatically his perspective and there are some people who don't really like it. Let's continue verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's, he gets baptized and he, begins, he starts preaching Jesus. I don't know, what is this, a week later? You know, it's, it's at least three days. This might be the fourth day. I don't know. But immediately... He goes and he starts preaching Jesus. He's like, guys, I was wrong. I saw a vision. And I got healed. I've been baptized. I'm born again. I'm I'm believing Jesus now. You guys need to do that too. It's actually true. This isn't a heresy. This is the truth. Jesus is real. He died for the sins of mankind. People like me. People like you. Come on. Let's be reconciled with God. Come on. Come on. Verse 21. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now he had lots of study in the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies. He understood what was going on. So he was able to bring up scriptures that showed Jesus was the Christ. And he baffled people. Verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. So he's been a Christian from now maybe a couple weeks, three weeks, I don't know. And already people are trying to kill him. His old friends that were with him now want to kill him. Hallelujah, he was accepted by the believers. Because the ones that he used to hang with want to kill him. What if the believers hadn't accepted him? He'd be alone. How important is it for us to accept those who are changed on the inside? To bring them in, even if we're afraid of them. Even if we don't understand what's going on with them. We have to bring them in. It's vitally important. Because the family of God is the safest place in the world for a new believer to be. They conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan Day and night, they kept close watch over the city gates in order to kill him. And he hit the ground running, didn't he? But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket 
through an opening in the wall. So, he escapes. He's able to um, go ahead and get free from Damascus, even though there were people there that were going to kill him. And he heads... How much time? Well, we're not doing too bad. Doing too bad, not too bad. So we're going we're gonna to read one more scripture before we finish the story. Saul, you can see his heart to serve God. When he found out he was wrong, he changed immediately. He began preaching Christ. He was no longer willing to walk the wrong way. He didn't sit and think about, well, you know, i got to try to save face here. I realize maybe some of the things I'm doing is wrong. He just like, I was completely wrong. Here's the truth. He went that way. And he describes his life after the vision when he's in prison and, and talking about his testimony to King Agrippa. And we'll look at that here in Acts chapter 26, verses 19 and 20. Paul is giving his defense in court. And this is what he says. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. First to those in Damascus. The place where he had his vision, was blinded, where he was healed and baptized, and where the nearest synagogue was where he could proclaim Christ. First there, he was not disobedient to the vision. He preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. A message that is true today. We should repent We should turn to God and we should live it out. We should prove our repentance by the life we live. So as we pick the story back up, Paul is fleeing from the people who used to be his friends who now want to kill him and he's going to go to Jerusalem. Paul has changed, but his reputation has not even though he's already in line to be a martyr, the believers that are farther than earshot away don't know anything about this, and they're still scared of him. So let's go to phase three of this miracle. And the amazing thing about phase three of this miracle is that there's no no miracle in phase three of this miracle, just faithfulness. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. He tried to come to church. They wouldn't let him in. He tried to connect with the believers, and they wouldn't have anything to do with him because they were afraid of him. They thought he was still one of the bad guys. They thought he was undercover, that he was going to come in, get inside information, and take them out from the inside. How's he going to be able to say, no, 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 that's not who I am. I'm I'm a good guy now. He's going to need a testimony from someone else. Next verse. 
But Barnabas, I think this is another one of my favorite verses. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas brought him to the highest leaders they had. And Barnabas was willing to bring him in there, stake his own reputation on him, and say, no, you guys are afraid of this guy. I've been in Damascus with him. I assume Barnabas was in Damascus. It doesn't specifically say that. I don't know any other reason why Barnabas would do this. And, it, and Barnabas tells the story of what happened in Damascus. So I think Barnabas was there. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas succeeds. Barnabas doesn't have a vision like Ananias did. Barnabas is just faithful. He can see the heart of this man. And he's willing to bring him to the apostles, take his own reputation on him, and say, this is one of the good guys now. You guys need to get on board with him. And the apostles say, all right. And in a different place, talks about where uh, the apostles gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They shook hands and brought him in. You're one of us now. You're in. And so Saul goes to Jerusalem. And as we saw in his defense to King Agrippa, he is in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Let's finish up the story. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. So now in Damascus they want to kill him. In Jerusalem they want to kill him. It's crazy stuff. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So he's running for his life again. He had to flee Damascus. He's fleeing Jerusalem. And verse 31 is an amazing verse. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. This is amazing for this particular reason. Once Paul got saved, the persecution stopped. He was a core part of the persecution against the church because when he got saved, there was a time of peace. Persecution came again. But the church felt the conversion of Paul. The church was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. More and more people kept coming and they walked in the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to close. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to pray. But before we get to that, I want to read one more verse. And this Saul, who was blinded, didn't eat for three days, who was healed and given a mission to bring the gospel to the world and to be able to write 
pieces of the Bible, this Saul, this persecutor, this blasphemer, this violent man is used to write many books in the New Testament, including 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Who's going to understand that better than Paul? He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He's experienced it in his own life. He knows what it's like to be persecuting God. He knows what it's like to receive mercy and to be following God. And to have the old be gone and the new come. This is a beautiful verse. Paul understood that from personal experience, and you can too. This miracle of being born again, this miracle of God intervening in your life and taking you off of one path and putting you on another, taking you off of destruction and putting you onto the path of life, this miracle is amazing because it doesn't require a miracle. To be born again does not require a miracle. It requires a sacrifice. And that sacrifice has already been made. Jesus has made that sacrifice. But it doesn't just require a sacrifice. It also requires faith. Jesus did his part by sacrificing for you so that you could go from the wrong path to the right one. And you know, we need little corrections too as we go. As believers, we've repented, decided to follow Christ, and then we we get on little wrong paths. And we need to get straightened out. That's true for for all of us. We need to be re-correcting as we go. This miracle that he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Our shame no longer has a hole on us. Our sin, our failure, who we were, no longer applies. Our identity is in Christ. That miracle does not require a miracle. It requires a sacrifice and it requires faith. Believe in what Christ has done for you. All you need to do now is believe. God's power is here to make you new again, to give you a fresh start, to help you walk into newness of life. We're going to pray a corporate prayer. We're going to pray together. Then I'll invite people up to receive personal prayer. Let me tell you, part of believing is being obedient. Ananias was obedient. Paul was obedient. Barnabas was obedient. And they saw the power of God. If you in your heart think, man, I should go up for prayer, but you're a little nervous about it, be obedient, come up, receive prayer. God will meet you here. We're going to pray, if you are someone who needs to go from not believing to believing, tonight is your night. Now is your time. Do not let it go by and miss it. If you need a recorrection, you know, 
The little GPS is saying, recalculating. Get back on the right track. And whatever else you need, whatever you're dealing with, let's believe God now to intervene and make a difference for each one of us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just love you. We give you praise. We know you are good. You are merciful and kind. And Lord, we know that in the Apostle Paul, the zealot named Saul, who was persecuting the church, we have an example of your mercy and your grace. Lord, we thank you for what you did for him. And I thank you for what you've done for me. And I thank you for what you've done for each one of us in this place. Let us grab hold of the fullness of the victory that you have for us. Let us not walk away not being reconciled to you, not recorrecting our course. But Lord, let your intervening in our lives take its full effect and let us be faithful. Let us believe. Let us walk in your ways. Lord, I pray that in the hearts of your people right now, a new purpose to serve you would come in. Lord, that a strength from you would come in. Lord, a peace from you would come in. Lord, bless us. And again, Lord, as each one of us is dealing with different things, you know what we need. Lord, by your spirit, touch us right now. Hallelujah. Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just flow through us. Lord, that your peace would be in us. Lord, that your joy would overflow through us, that your light may shine into this world, into every nook and cranny, Lord, of this world. May there be light from you and your people. So, Lord, bless us and encourage us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.